0: So when God speaks, many things can be heard from what God speaks. As as you hear the vocal words, the mechanical words coming out of someone's mouth. Can you just take the echo out, Ralph? As you you hear the mechanical words coming out of my mouth, the wind and the spirit behind it can say multiple things to you depending on how you're set up on the inside. If you're able to hear with your spiritual ears, and see with your spiritual eyes, what a man says can mean a lot more than what he said. It all depends how you're wired up on the inside to receive. Yes? If you're so mechanical, that's why when people take notes, the objective of taking notes in in a setting like this, there's many meetings where the context changes. But In a meeting like this, you're not supposed to write down, if you're going to write any notes at all, you don't write down everything I say. That's what a CD's for, or the MP3's there for. You write down what your heart captures. What what your heart captures is what you're spiritualizing is heard. You don't need a transcript of what I said. Yes? So even when I go to places like Malaysia, and people are typing, you know, I don't know, some people don't write a note. I mean... What's the point of coming if you don't write a note? But I take a lot of notes, but I don't take transcript notes. I take the things that are feeding my spirit. And I've learned to increase my capacity. And then what happens is when I bring them home, and I begin to read them, again, I hear different things. So the the message never stops speaking to me. Why? Because I'm set up to receive one thing you've said, two things, three things, four things I can hear. I can hear on multi-levels. It depends how well you sharpen that inner, you know, frequency on the inside. Don't just get so analytical, mechanical that you just get what I'm saying. Get what the Spirit is saying to you, the church. Not what you're hearing coming out of my mouth, but what is being said to you, the church. Because when you come to church, you come for God to speak to you. You don't come to hear me, you come to hear what God is speaking through me. Or whoever it is who's speaking. So you must address your ears, tune your spirit to hear what God is saying. That which I've received from the Lord, the Bible says. So you need to receive unto you this morning. That comes from the spirit to you. Though it comes through a human voice, a human channel, it's spirit. My words are life and hell to those who find them. So if you can find them this morning as they're coming out of my mouth, grab hold of them. Write them down, they're yours, they're free. We didn't charge you for them. You just came, freely you came, freely you will go. But they're your words. You know, it comes to my mind on this remembrance day that a lot of blood was shed. And as we know that blood cries from the ground, we realize that we Cain and Abel. God could hear the blood crying from the ground. And as he heard the blood cry from the ground, God answered that cry by giving Jesus his own son and his own blood shed and justified those who would take faith in him. His own blood wiped them, washed them, we should say, clean. Amen. And it strikes me that there's been a strain, uh, there's been a strain of adverts on TV. I don't know if you've seen it for giving blood. And it's amazing that how many people need blood? Even though they've got blood, they need extra blood. Now, Carol's reason's negative. And I say to Carol, we've got to get rid of that negativity in your blood, girl. We've got to turn it into reason's positive. People have all different types of blood groups. And because there's all different types of blood groups, there's all different types of needs. You'd think God would just create one blood group, wouldn't you? And <laughs> we just need one group. One bag of blood will do the job. But he doesn't. The world needs blood. Why? Because in blood is life. Blood is life. When Jesus gave his blood, he gave us life. He just didn't give us his body. He gave us his blood. And his blood gives us life. Because it was always blood that, that the world needed. A blood sacrifice, not just a sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. And blood keeps you alive. We've all got, is it eight pints? Eight pints of blood flowing in us. And the moment you lose blood, somebody then has to go and step in, volunteer their blood, so you can stay alive. Jesus Christ did that. And in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, I want to show you a pattern. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, I know you know this verse. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So this, for it's by grace you have been saved. God's unmerited favor, God did it all on your behalf. So you didn't have to do anything. Is that how you understand it? That's how I understand it. Heavenly Father saw you had a need, sent his son to step in for you because he knew that you needed blood. Yes? He knew that you needed blood, you had no blood, to appease for your sin. So he sent his own son to be your donor, your sacrifice. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't work for it. You didn't have to do all kinds of chores for it. You received it freely by grace. Romans chapter five, verse one says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Should we say that again? Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom you have gained access by faith into his grace. In which we now stand, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we're going to link those two scriptures together. Ephesians 2 verse 8 with Romans 5. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And this is what we get. We didn't know Jesus until he revealed himself to our hearts. Is that true? Yes. We couldn't enter into grace until grace came looking for us. Come on. It is through grace that you are saved. So grace came looking for you. Grace came looking for you. So the father's grace towards you, knowing that your heart, his heart is towards you because his heart is none that should, none should perish. But have everlasting life. So God comes with his grace to you to see if you will choose him. Yeah, you didn't do anything. You're walking down the road. Someone comes along, starts speaking to you, or you, maybe no one speaks to you. You're walking on the road. You have a thought and a thought leads to you calling out for a higher being. Grace overshadowed you, grace came looking for you. But here's what we see, that we were sinful objects, we were objects of wrath, was we not? Our destiny was sealed, we are sinful, therefore we must be punished, and punishment will lead to judgment, judgment will lead to separation from God. Is that how you understand it? That's how I understand it. So, a grace not come looking for us, that was our future. Well, but when grace came looking for me and the blood of Jesus paid the price and stepped in for me through justification, I entered into faith. Yeah. And entered into peace with God. But here it is through blood, through the blood and repentance, you're justified through the blood. And then your repentance, the blood works with your repentance. Yes. Yes. So, the blood and your repentance work together, and the result is that you are now justified. Okay, blood, repentance equals justified. You're just if, in other words, you're just now, you're no longer condemned. You had someone speaking for you in the dock, you had someone acting on your behalf, you're now justified, you're no longer a sinner, you've now been forgiven. Blood and repentance equals justification. Yes? They combined. Together. This is what happens when grace comes looking for you. Watch the pattern here. Blood, repentance, together. His blood, your repentance, equals justification. Next one. Through justification, you now enter into faith. Through justification, because he's now stood for you in the dock and said... My blood, I've offered you my blood, you've taken my blood, you're now justified. Now you're justified, you now qualify for faith. You qualify for faith, now he gives you his faith. You getting this? This is what happens when grace comes looking for you. Don't mean Tom's grace. When she comes looking for you, you're gone. (laughs) Through justification, we enter into faith. Through faith... We now enter into peace with God. So just backtrack in case you're not sure. Through blood, through the blood of Jesus, He offers us repentance. When we we repent and say, My you know, you you are the way, the truth, the life. I need a Savior. I enter into justification. I'm justified. He's bought the price, he's paid the price. Right, when I enter into justification, I now enter into faith. He gives me his faith. Through faith, I now enter into the peace of God. Who needs the peace of God? I need the peace of God. Through Jesus Christ, I now gain access by faith into grace. By faith, into grace. I step into what was offered to me originally by faith. by faith, I receive it, and I step into grace with the faith that he's given me to receive him. Does that make sense? This is the process of how you get saved. And it happens so quickly you feel you feel that you've been convicted. Oh God, I need you. If there's anyone out there, I need you. You cry out for Him, tears in your face, and you say, "Forgive me. I need a Savior. Come into my life, change my life." You did it all through a cry, but the process, the, di- the you know, the, the coding going on behind it is a process: blood, repentance, justification. Justification leads to faith. Faith. Allows us to enter into the peace of God. He feels right what you're doing. And then through Jesus Christ we gained access by faith into grace. This grace that you didn't work for was given to you. The faith you didn't, you didn't have is given to you. Everything's given to you so you can get in on the journey. Or you can get in on the offer. Amen? Now here's the thing: this when it all twists. Now, through our work, and our tasks, or our assignments in life, we now prove our faith and our, and our love. We now prove our faith, our love, and the grace as being genuine. And I'll prove it. So David receives the blood; he receives forgiveness. He's received the faith he steps into grace now God says prove it show me by your life that your repentance was genuine and sincere show me how do I show it right his work now he has to combine the faith he has to walk in the love and he has to use the grace does that make sense he has he receives the forgiveness right that's done now he has to rise he has to take the love, he has to walk by faith, and he has to step into the grace so he can do his work, his task, and assignment. That's the only way you can show God he's genuine. Because you have to combine your love, with a, your faith, with a work. How do you show God you're sincere if you have no work? Coming to church does not make God happy. God's already here. He expects that's mandatory. It's like saying, I'm a student. Why? Because I, I go to school, right? It's basic. Well, once you get to school, you've got to learn. What do you do when you get to school? You have to work. True? And when you study at university and you apply for a job, you now have to, you now have to prove to the company that what you learned was genuine. You have to show them that your four years of study, or whatever it is, now I learned, I listened, I watched, this qualification means something. True? Because at the end of it, he expects a salary. And they, whoever his employers are, expect a product. Right? It's the same with Jesus. Jesus expects a product, he expects you to work for his kingdom, work for a living. Well, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Hey, the monkeys sang that, didn't they? I'm a believer. Then he saw my faith. No doubt in my mind. So coming to church says, God, I love you, Lord. I'll work for you. I'll go anywhere, Lord. That's okay. The service will be finishing and I will soon see. Throughout the week, I just read my Bible. I have a little prayer time with the Lord. That's good. That's good. But that's, no, that's not, that's just about you. And you say, well, I walk with the Lord. Yeah, but you do nothing for him. You walk with the Lord, but you do nothing for him. You know, we fall into that trap, so many. So many of us fall into that trap. We walk, we, we, we think as we walk and we pray and we worship the Lord, we're serving him. No, no, no. That's not serving the Lord. That's called basic. Try, try, tell you what, try and do that with your husband or wife. Not meet with them through the week and then try and get in bed with them when you want something. Guess what's going to happen, don't you? You know what's going to happen. Right. She's going to say, where have you been, honey? But I love you, darling. She says, well, where have you been? Prove it to me. Prove your love to me. Come on. It's the same. You want me for one thing. Exactly. You want me for one thing. And everyone's got a one thing. A potential one thing. It's true. The Bible has a lot to say about the grace that God's given us. When God gave us that grace, that was only one facet of grace. Yes? Take my key ring here on this car. This key ring is multifunctional. It has three functions. It's a trinity. It has three functions. It has, the first one is to open the car. Right? The second one is to close the car. The third one, I've never pressed it, so I can't tell you what it does. <laughs> I've only learnt to words, two functions on the car. But guess what? I've got the two basic ones I need to open and close. <laughs> hey, Why is it four? No, that's not a function. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right, a four fu- Yeah, if you wanted to put the key, yeah, all right, four functions. I wanted to stay holy with it. All right, then. I've learned the three functions. I've learned how to put the key in it. I've learned how to open the door, and I've learned how to close the door. Smarty. <laughs> Philip. This thing has got three to four functions. Guess what? It works from a distance. It works from a distance. I don't have to be connected to the car, but the car is always connected to me. Yes? And whenever I am in range, I can... Do it, and you know what they tell you. I don't know if you saw. Ducks quack, don't echo. No. I love watching that program. You learn some useless stuff on it. If you want to amplify, listen to this. Did you see this, Amber? If you want to amplify your range, put the key to your head, and it amplifies this. It does. It amplifies the range. Yeah, if you put the car key to your head, it amplifies the range. Well, you look at Pratt. You go. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The point is, at some point in this thing I'm illustrating here, I have to be connected. It's not enough to say I've got a car. I want to use the car. I want to prove the manufacturers that what you've built works. True? And I want want some pleasure from it. As well as the car gives me practical uh, uses, I also want some pleasure from it. Is it wrong to want some pleasure from your Christianity? No. But guess what? The car's not all about pleasure. It has to take some stress. It's built for stress. It's built for terrain. It's built for a journey. Same as you. And guess what? It's built to take others along with you. Now the fuel I put in a car is called petrol. The fuel for your life is grace, love, and faith. We need this. In our lives. 2 Corinthians says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. So what did he do with it? He worked with the grace that God gave to him. Now we're seeing a different facet of grace now. This illustration here, the key, now he's moving on to the different function of Grace. Grace in the first dynamic was saving grace. It came to him to save... Heaven came to give grace so you could step into grace. You didn't work for it. But now you've received it, grace takes on a different dimension now. Now it's to work with. Now you have to use grace. In the first instance, you didn't go looking for grace. Grace came looking for you. But now you've received grace... You have to do something with it. You can't sit there and do nothing. You have to do something with it. This is the requirement that the Bible places on the believer. So Paul says, by the grace God has given to him. So so Paul recognizes where the grace came from. God. Now it's given to him. Paul takes full responsibility to use the grace that God's given him. Yes. What did he do with it? I laid the foundation as an expert builder and someone else is now building on it. They're building on it with the grace that God's given to them. So with Paul's grace, he lays the foundation and with the grace that others have have received, they now begin to build on what Paul laid. And what Jesus Christ himself laid. Yes. Then he says this. I laid the foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay for any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So when grace came looking for you, it brought Christ Jesus. So everything that you build within life is Christ Jesus. Everything that you, the, your life reflects should reflect Christ Jesus. Jesus, why? The apostles didn't lay the foundation, they built on the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation layer. The apostles taught us about what was already laid. Then others came on and built on what the disciples and what Christ has already laid. Amen? They didn't build another foundation, they built on the foundation. Yes? So Christ has laid the foundation. You and I must build on what's already been laid. Grace, when grace comes looking for you, you either get saved with it and then you need to use grace to build on it. Yeah? It takes as much grace to lay a foundation as it does to build on one. It takes as much grace to lay a foundation as it does to build them one. I'm very mindful of the fact that my life, my ministry in this house is built based on what my forefathers labored for. Yes? Even without us agreeing on everything. Even taking into account that their generation, their revelation, their understanding is different from our generation's revelation and our understanding. That doesn't matter. Christ was still laid. The foundation of Christ was laid in this house. So that anyone, any other generation coming in, building upon, could could have at least another platform they could have leverage to proclaim Christ clearer. Because somebody else had gone before us. You don't just decide, I didn't start this church. I'm not building this church now. Jesus is. I'm not building the church. I'm realizing this more and more. I can't change you. I cannot change. You know how I know that, don't you? Because I've tried. If I just want to maintain you, I can just say things to keep you happy. But to change you, Jesus, it's your your people, your church. You must change him. He says, okay, you say what I need you to say. You do what I need you to do. And as you do that, I'll change him en route. But I can't change her. But Lord knows, I've prayed for many of you. Change that person, Lord. Change this person, Lord. Lord says, I think someone else might need changing in the process. Me. Then my wife says, don't worry, Lord, I'll change him. And then I say to the Lord, don't worry, Lord, I'll change her. And the Lord says, neither of you can change each other. If you don't submit to me, you can change things, but you can't change people. You can change things in a a marriage, but you can't change your wife or your husband. Quit trying. The husband's job is to pray for his wife. And in that prayer, praying for his wife, he's dealing with those issues in the spirit that he knows he can't deal with in the flesh. Yes? Yes. And then there'll be time and an opportunity where they can discuss those things. But he's sown that into the spirit first. Rather than talking to her, she gives him a mouthful or he gives her a mouthful. And then you go to pray about it. It's too late then. Yeah. If you want to pull a weed up, what do you do? Spiritually. Water the ground. Water the ground first. And as you water the ground, let the ground be soft. You can pull the weed up. It's a lot easier. In the spirit. Spirit. Some conversations you can't have until you've prayed about them. And when I say pray about it, I don't mean you had one prayer meeting with the Lord about it. You'll never change your partner without praying for him first. Yes? And in that, when you're praying for her, say, Lord, change me. Don't just pray for her like she's the only one got to change. Be smart enough to think, God, not that I think I might need changing. I know I need changing. So, Lord, change, us. change the pair of us. Make this house a blessed house. Amen? So it takes just as much grace to lay a foundation. Every man and woman who get married lay a foundation in their house. But guess what? Your pattern was your mother and father, if you had one. So they laid a foundation for you to build. But in you building, you're also laying your own foundation for your children. Yes? So everyone is, need, everyone is either building on a foundation or laying a foundation. And then you become a grandparent, you learn to lay another foundation. Yeah? It's just the way life is, but we, we build and, and lay foundations with grace, God's grace. So I've realized that if all we want to do is run a church, emphasize run a church, we don't run a church, we lead one. If all I want to do is run a church, all I need is good organization and good management. I don't need grace. I just need organization And management. And again, you know, I know that. Because I've tried both ways. I know which one works and which one doesn't work. And you've tried to do things in your own strength, have you not? Of course you have. And you've worked with the grace of God in your life. And you know which one's easier and which one's harder. You know, even the grace of God doesn't make it easy. It's still hard work. But it's easier. It's better than strife. Yeah, it's smoother. Yeah. So it's a lot better than strife. Is that true? And it's amazing that the foundation that we're building on, we're now laying for the next generation. Then we're not looking to leave it to the next generation. We're looking to use the next generation now so they can labor with us rather than one day the keys are yours. You look after it. That's, called, that's not called legacy. Legacy is going and bringing them alongside you now on the journey. So they're in the battle with you. They're moving along with you. So they've, you modeled it. You can, they can watch your life. They're with you at this point. So if, if at that point you pass away or you, whatever happens, God calls you to the left, they've already got the experience because they came shoulder to shoulder with you. What we normally do is wait until we're at the end of ourselves. We look for someone and say, see, I've left a legacy. You didn't leave a legacy. You left a guy with a job. Because he never got the benefit of your experience. Well, I left him a church. Yeah, and he'll also destroy one. And all the works of your hands will be destroyed. And that's when when Solomon says it's meaningless. What what wisdom is there to build everything only to to worry about the one I've got to leave it to? But with legacy, you don't worry. You're confident that these sons and daughters are the ones that carry in the grace. Yeah, that's right. If I ever get to my bed, my, my dying bed and say, Lord, Lord, here's the keys. Give, make sure Johnny gets them. I'm in trouble. Yeah. My sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters, I expect them to be around the bed and say, don't worry. You've had your turn now. The grace that you've entrusted to us will carry on. Amen. There's many, many movers and shakers in life. You know that, don't you? But every mover and shaker needs a grace. Every mover and shaker needs a grace. But it makes me a little bit nervous when I look in church life today and I see the so-called movers and shakers. And when I look at many churches today, what signifies a mover and a shaker is a large group of people. Or... Many of you know that you've heard names like Planet Shakers. You've heard names Hillsong. You've heard names called Bethel. Three outstanding uh, churches with the ability to create music. Yeah? We've all sang their songs. Whether you know it or you don't know it, we've we've sang a lot of those songs. And they've enriched us and blessed us. Okay? So I'm not having a go at the churches. I'm commending them for what they've done. However, all those, all those uh, that, that breath of music, that wave of music, what we hear, we think that church or those churches must be top of their game. Because we see the platform, we see the singers, we see, we see it on TV we think, wow, that must be just an absolute dynamic church. But you know that music still hasn't mobilized the people? Do you know that? They've sold millions of albums between them all. But it still doesn't necessarily move the people in the grace. Because with the music, people gather to stay to receive the music. The the music alone does not mobilize the people. And then you get the other side. You get DVDs. You get these preachers who are many and varied, of which I'd have to include one of myself in, in that category. And you see some of them with notoriety, household names, selling CDs, books, some great writing, some great CDs, but it still hasn't mobilized the church into pursuing the grace. So we've got the worship, which is awesome. We've got the preaching, which is good, but it still hasn't got us off our blessed assurance. We're still stuck to our chair just as much as the first day we came into the church. So something is not working. Grace came for you. It gave you faith. It gave you love. It gave you acceptance. It gave you peace with God. And the basic thing that you and I need is a work. And all this is designed To help you find that work and empower you to stay in that work and to stay in that walk. But it's not doing it. So what we've got is churches with gatherers and attenders, but we haven't got a harvest field outside. Church, this is serious. This is serious. Our preaching has got to mobilize us now. We were laughing before, Kath and Phil and I, when I spoke in the uh, School of the Prophets and I used a metaphor, stripping the fat lady down. And we laughed about it because some people thought, oh, how could he say that? Well, I wasn't calling you. That was what came out of that movie clip I showed people. But if you felt convicted, that's not my fault. One thing I spoke, two things you heard. Come on, be honest. I never once got pointed with you directly, but indirectly, I was coming for the church. So if you're a member of the church and you felt convicted in any area, then that's the, surely that's the, the, the role of the minister. Yes, I didn't say you need to do this, this, this and this. I spoke in a different context and if that context challenges you in so many areas of your life, Thank goodness. I can't apologize for conviction. Because I myself are convicted when others speak. True? But if we don't strip this fat lady down, which is the church, he's talking about the church. For those who was not here, I used the clip from Pearl Harbor. And in Pearl Harbor, they had to strip the B 52s down. It was B 52s, wasn't it? B 52s down. And they had to get them off the runway. At a certain, uh, uh, they only had so much uh, much, uh, length to get them off the plane. If they didn't get it off, it crashed into the sea. Because they were going to attack the Japanese and they wanted the element of surprise. So they had to strip down these bombers, throw everything that was heavy on them. And the phrase they kept using is strip the fat lady down. But you know, if music can't get us off the ground, preaching is not getting us off the ground, something needs stripping down. If the grace is there and we're not using it, then flesh and blood is in the way. Structure, flesh and blood structures are in the way. If you're not living for Christ and finding it difficult, I guarantee behind your struggles will be flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, weight. You'll be overweight in one area. I want to say I'm on to spiritually again. Yes? You'll either overindulge in this area or overindulge in that area or underfeed yourself in this area. And the pleasures of this world, which is another acronym for, dare I say it, crap, cares, riches, and pleasure. Yes? Those things are the things that weigh that fat lady down. And the Bible says, for the sins that so easily entangle us, Flesh and blood is behind every limitation that you put in your, on yourself. But the grace is there to overcome, to empower us to get the job done. Grace came looking for us so we could use grace to finish the task or finish the race. Grace to finish the race. Amen. So in Matthew 23 verse 37, it says, Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, to gather your children together as hens gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. Look at your house. It is left desolate. So when you look at your own life, that's called a house. God has longed to do something with you God has longed to gather you. God has longed to include you into his grace. But they killed the word that was coming to them. They didn't like the vehicles that were speaking to them. Yes? The prophets were the vehicles. They didn't like. And every time someone stood up and announced Jesus. And spoke about Jesus. They either killed him or stoned stoned him. Same thing. Or they ran him out of town. So... There is this reluctance to receive a fresh word and a fresh grace. Israel fought about it. She fought against it, I should say. So much so, Jesus says, I came to you. You didn't want to know, right, I'm now going to the Gentiles. That means anyone who's not a Jew. You had your moment, guys. I came looking for you. I wanted to gather you as a nation. But you would not listen. So now I'm going to have to go to those outside, the ones you don't like. The Gentiles. Now, that was the context that Jesus spoke in. The other context is that we often see is in the church is we want to gather people to sit down. And if we just want to gather them and gather them and gather them and gather them, so we have a larger crowd to make ourselves feel like, hey, we're going somewhere. We're actually going nowhere with a lot of people. True. Jesus didn't want to gather us. He wants to build us. He said, I'll build my church. God's a builder, not a gatherer. But most pastors want to gather. Jesus is a builder. He wants to build your life with his grace. He's given you faith. He's given you love. He's given you his acceptance. He's given you all kinds of things. He wants you to take the grace so he can build his church through you. Can you see that? Or are we happy, are we, are we happy to, and content to keep gathering? Some of us want to feel like a little chick. Papa's little chick. Mama's little chick. We can't be infants forever. At some point, we have to grow up to be what we're supposed to be. Amen? So... You heard me say at the School of the Prophets that well while, while some men are looking for a word, the word is looking for some men to lay hold of. And that word came looking for us Jordan the School of the Prophets. That word, that very word came looking for us. And what God is saying through that word is that there's a, there is a grace for you, Dream Center. For every person in this house, this family, there is a grace for you. You've got to move beyond saving grace. Okay, you saved. Well done. Thank goodness you're saved. But now it's time to move to the next level, to use the grace that God has given us for the job, for the work, the task, and the assignment that God is setting on our lives. The grace is now here to use because it's taking us somewhere. Amen? You know, we're going to be running, launching in 2017 our school of discipleship. I really believe that this school is going to be a fundamental part of where we go in the next five to ten years. I really do. I really believe God's given us a training house, not just to sit and teach, but to send and release. That's got to be a very, very key part of this school. It will be a training and releasing school. It just will not just be talk. It will be walk responsibility, accountability. There'll be missions involved. These people who come into this school will be sent out to establish a work with what they were taught. So it'll have a product, there'll be a production at the end of it. You're building them for a specific task. The task is not just to educate them. The task is with what you impart into them, they now go and use and then become accountable to you in how they're using it. You do not want them to sit on their blessed assurance. You want to get them off the seats and get out there in the destiny. Get them off the runway. Yes. Now that's going to take a grace. That grace is given to us. Let's just say I didn't take that challenge or we didn't take that challenge as a church. And I came up with every reason why we shouldn't do it. What do you think will happen? Our time will pass and we'll just stay where we are. We will maintain what we've got. But here's God giving us an ability to become cutting edge. And we've got to see what God's doing with us and rise to take the grace that God's given to us. So when God gives us a work, he gives us a grace to go with it. Yes. So this is so important. People talk about vision. And quite rightly so. Vision's very, very important. But I said to the guys many, uh, some years ago, I said, you know, I'm, I'm under the impression it's not just about vision, it's where the grace is leading. Yeah. Every church has a grace upon it. Yeah. And it's all right having your vision, and a vision's good. We need a vision. So I'm not decrying vision, we need vision. Without vision, people perish. But without grace, you don't get the job done. Vision is great for stirring and educating people. But grace is given is to sustain the people to finish the work. Hello? I want to try and help you this morning to move past whatever thoughts you had about grace. I want to uh, widen your horizon. Let's move past saving grace. Let's move past. If if you're born again this morning, let's move past saving grace. Me and Jesus, we're just one. Right. Okay. Establish that. Now do something with what you've received. Yeah. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Okay, that's true. I am my savior, now need to do something. Yeah. Yes? So we need to move into the dynamics of grace, not just dynamic. There are dimensions of grace. Not just dynamic. If grace was only saving, it's only got one dynamic. It's powerful, powerful as it is. But there are more dimensions of grace that God wants us to step into. It's empowering grace, sustaining grace. Grace to finish the race. Yes? So, if you go to Acts 4, verse 33, it says, With great power, in Acts 4, verse 33, With great power, the apostles continue to testify To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. How much grace? Much. And who was it on? All. What were they doing? Testifying. They were working with what they'd received. Say it again. With great power. So power. And the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection. So they were talking about the saving grace. Here's what they were doing. They were going with the saving, they were talking about the saving grace, but they had moved into another dimension of grace. They were into the working grace, the sustaining grace. With great power and miracles, they were talking to other people about the saving grace of Christ. But great grace was on them all. There isn't just an anointing for the preacher, there is a grace for us all. For us all, all, who determines the all? You, whether you're part of it. If you just come to church and just, and just read your Bible, then what grace do you need other than saving grace? But if you're going to get involved in the work, then that work needs to be on all those who get involved in the work. And age is not a disqualification. The fact that you're still alive, is a work. You've heard me say this before, because who determines the age? Who determines the age? No man can determine the age. It's in your spirit to determine. I'm finished or I'm not finished. Find the grace for the race. Find the grace for the race. Doesn't matter how old you are. Many of you can't run up hills. It's all right. We're not asking you to run up an hill. He's not asking you to run up an hill, right? Many of you can't do a lot of things as age go. Your best days pass you by. You have to adjust, don't you? Right then. So in your adjusting, you have to find the grace to adjust. You have to find, listen, don't find the grace to rust. (laughs) Find the grace to to adjust. Yeah? We don't want rust. We want adjustments. You've got to find that grace to adjust. So God can use me. Pioneer new areas. Learn new things. You're not finished. I might be old as long as you, listen, your brain's still working. Look at Stephen Hawkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right for him. How's it all right for him? Great grace was upon them all. Dream Center, 2015, November. What's the date today? Eighth. Grace, great grace is common on us all. We read... And we heard together corporately on the Sunday, the last Sunday after the, uh, after the School of the Prophets. And we heard Pastor Peter prophesy over us as a people, or over me, meaning us. Right? I was already the point of contact. And it talked about the grace. There was a greater grace coming upon us. And because one thing he said, two things I heard, I captured it in my spirit. And God is speaking to me about this now. Why? Because that's what the word that God wanted to communicate to me. And I've been searching for for a while. So God used it. In all the private conversations I had with Pastor Pete when he was here, never did he say that. Why? Because he wasn't, he was prophesying it, not talking about it. I like to think it came from heaven. It witnesses with me. And this is the reason why this grace will come to strip us down. This grace is coming to strip us down, to get us lean, so we can get off that runway. To get that school off the runway, we have to strip down. Do you know that? And here's what we see is, I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing here. Acts chapter 2, sorry, Acts chapter 11, sorry, verse 21. To move into this dimension The prophetic word spoke about a Barnabas spirit that was coming upon my life to encourage us to get to this next stage. So there was something coming upon me to help empower and encourage us to get to that next stage. True. How does, you know, please don't think it's only me being used here. No, No. it's the the us is always the main issue here. So God speaks to me as a leader. Because I can see the prophetic doors that are opening. So as I incline my ear. Get the word. It's so that I can move you. To what God's revealing to me. So then he reveals it to us. Yes. It's not about me receiving. It's about us. The corporate us. 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 And in Acts chapter 11. It said the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's the saving grace. Now. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So, there's a man that God wants to use. He arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, just like I try and do with you. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, what did he use? He used his saving grace. He used his faith, he used his peace, amen? And he used the grace to do what he was doing and then he recognized grace was working in others. But the grace of God was also upon him, yes? So it just wasn't given to one person. And then in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, he says, and Barnabas sent to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So watch this. The grace of God came upon Barnabas' life. Barnabas could see. He felt a certain stirring to help people, to work with people. He He heard that God was breaking out in Antioch. Yes. So the first thing Paul did was went and got somebody else. To join him in the work. Can you see that? He went and got Saul. Which is Paul. So it's like me going getting David. Me getting Phil. Getting this David. Getting some of the other people. And bringing them alongside. Why? For one whole year. They stayed. And taught. In one place. Now you've got to remember about Antioch. Antioch was the first time the church broke into and beyond jewish culture so it broke into a a multicultural church the jews and the gentiles were all together in one place it was an apostolic church okay but barnabas didn't think you know what what a great opportunity i've got to build my name and my ministry who needs Paul? Paul will come in and have a different philosophy. I'm going to have to share the glory. like so many other guys won't do that. They want the people to be reliant upon them. The first thing Barnabas did was, because he's got a team mentality and he understands how the power of grace works, he went and got somebody else and he included him on the journey. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm seeing where God can break out, where God wants to break out, So the first thing I'm doing, I see the grace that's on us, and I'm trying to get you involved to labor alongside me so that there's more of us. So if we need to go into one region, one region for a whole year, can we do it? Can we do it? Just as a small group of people here, can we raise up men and women to go into an arena that God opens up the door? And we can say, we will stay here for one year and we will raise this place up with the same grace that's on us. We'll we'll, we'll work with this grace to see that same grace come upon them for one year. Come on. Can we do that? He said, we're doing it. Well, how can we if we just come to church? If we just come to church, we can't do that. But if our lives are so cluttered, and you're so busy beyond here, then how can you be included in that, that particular work? So you, before you can re, uh, deploy those resources, you've got to train those resources. And that will be our task for the 2017. But guess what? That's not just for the 2017. That's for us now. For you, for us. We've got to do that now now. But we will do that with the 2017 students. We need, listen, if God's called us, where are we going to get these students from? God's got to supply. We'll do what we can do. But God's got to supply. And if we start with three, we start with three. Well, our Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We'll start with three. Because God gives you the small things because he wants to see if you despise the small things. And if we have to send those... Those people out, for one year after their, you know, their training's finished, now it's real life, for one year, let's see what quality of men we can raise. Or women, when i to say men, men and women. We can raise. But let's not wait for 2017. Let's do it now. My, my desire is to be able to say, right, I need you over there for the next XYZ. Can you, can you run that thing? Because I can't be in two places at once. I'm, last time I looked, I wasn't omnipotent. Right? And I've got some qualities, but I ain't one of them. But I don't need to be in two places when I've got two people, three people, four people, five people. We can be in five places at the same time. Amen? How many of you believe this is possible? Now, you see, that grace has to come upon us as a house, it cannot just come upon the leadership. Now, let me give you an insight why that grace must come upon us. I said to the guys, the moment I felt this was stirring in my spirit, I said, this grace must come upon everybody. It cannot just come upon us as the leaders, those who are teaching. Why? Because you know what will happen is? You will always be, if you can never never mobilize the people to to bring their hearts into this, you'll be talking about it on a Sunday and they'll all be disconnected. They'll all be disconnected. There'll be something going on here, but you'll have two churches going on at the same time. That's where I went wrong with Iranians. There was two churches going on here, and I paid the price heavily. And you did, because you never got my time and attention. I felt like Josie Mourinho was fighting too many wars and too many fronts, and the church was taking a hell of a beating. Because you don't fight wars on too many fronts. You fight it on one front if you can. So we need house parents. Oh, you need a grace to be a house parent. These guys are house parents. Will calls it something different, but they're house parents. And you think, well, I can't do anything. You could become a house parent. You've, some of, many of you have got beautiful homes. You've got a bedroom upstairs. Well, I'm just keeping it for my kids. Well, okay. Why not just extend your family? That's a way of helping, serving. Can you take someone in and feed them? Look after them and not expect anything for it. If you get something for it, it's a bonus. But your first heart is, the woman of Samaria saw the prophet coming through. And the first thing was, let's make a room upstairs for this man. She didn't say, do you fancy renting a room? She didn't. She made room for him. You know, everybody in Southern Lights, when I first saw this in Southern Lights, I thought they all got paid. For years, I thought they all got paid. House parents get nothing. That doesn't mean to say we can't give anything to our house parents, but the point is let's not talk terms and conditions. Let's just talk heart first. Yes? Just make room for someone, and then we'll see what happens. We need the graces to come upon us to do this. It does. Some, some people have already thought we're making plans now for this happen. Brilliant. That's a, great, that's a great evidence to my heart that God is already going before us. He's making room for us. We're looking to do something to accommodate those students. We have to put them somewhere. Yes? So the grace has to come upon us. Then there needs to be grace to, to administrate it. To run the school on an economic, financial, sensible level. That has to be a grace. Has to come upon us. We can't keep putting that on Emma Duffield. Emma's got responsibilities in other areas. We can't keep expecting Emma to look after that. Others have to rise up to carry that grace. You've got your natural skill. And you've got your God-given talent. If they can be combined... Now, people will come to me and say, I'd like to be considered. Okay, thank you. You will be considered. That doesn't mean say you'll be chosen. That means you'll be considered. Because you don't know how many others. If you're the only one, you get the job. You know that, don't you? Then there needs to be a grace coming upon the ministries or the ministers who are going to impart their wisdom, their knowledge, their gift, into that school. Many of you, I would want you to get in and take a lesson. Because by now, many of you should be teachers. Many of you should be teachers. And if I put you in a care group and say, right, speak to us tonight, you always go back to your testimony. Can't you move beyond your testimony? Have something to say. By now, we should be teachers. You've received enough for you to be more than you actually are. But if you just sit down there with your everyday with Jesus, that's beautiful you sit down with your everyday with Jesus. Well, let's just take Jesus beyond your everyday. At some point, Jesus wants to be known and heard. And made known. So you've got to, we're going to ask, we'll be expecting some of you to say, right, can you take a Wednesday session? This is what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, well, what do you mean, There is no hedge where. Hedge where? Well, you, by now, church, this grace must come upon us. Well, I'm not a gifted speaker. How do you know? Let your listeners determine that. And then the grace needs to come upon us for the financiers. That means giving money servants, to make sure whatever needs doing, to observe, the, to observe the people who are going through. Let's just say we get some overseas students. And let's just say the ones who come have basically got nothing by the time they get here. Are we observant as a house to, make, to observe them and to go and buy them something? Just because we've observed from a distance, they might need some clothes they might need some spray stuff. There might be an aroma in the room and we might need to help them, right? Because hygiene, Phil and I know that when you come from the nations, not everyone shares the same values. When you say lift your holy hands, you say not you. <laughs> the word pingu or pongu seriously, 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 Hygiene is not an automatic given when you travel around. And uh, the only thing you can do is just to encourage them. Let me introduce you to this. How it works is you lift your hand, you spray, you wash first. But we need to, listen, we need, if I use this phrase very carefully, we need parents and mothers and fathers who can, mother and father in that physical sense, some of the needs that they'll see in the school. Come on. This grace must come upon us to do this work because it's a very, it's God's work. And you can't, if you detach yourself, or it's something that we do. Oh, yeah, we have a discipleship. Yeah, it's something we do, or they do. Do we? Do we still do it? Yeah, we still do it, yeah. If you're always detached from it, you can never be included. See, that's that's just a small way you can, pay a, you can play a part in this. You can encourage them, go alongside and say, everyone praying for you this week. Yeah. See, I know that the moment we address these things, we're all conscious of it for the week. And then we just fade into. And let's face it, we can't just do this with the students. We should be doing this with one another. It's not just when we get to school, we should be doing this. Christmas is coming. We need to pay attention to those who we think could be lacking. Not just Christmas. Christmas just brings it onto our, onto our radar. But any time, if if, listen, if charity doesn't begin at home, It's not right if we're giving to someone, to another nation, and we miss the nations sat in front of us. Great grace was on them all. Yeah? So the word that came to us, part of that word, it says, stretch your tent pegs wide. Now, I know you've heard that word many, many times. Let's not be familiar with it. It's coming to us now. Again, Time to stretch our tent pegs wide. Well, to do that, you've got to clutter You've got to get, you know, stripped down and and get rid of some of that stuff that's in your way. Why? Because there is advancement coming. And God is saying, I'm moving. I'm going to change the structure of the church. I'm changing the landscape of the people. I'm changing what I'm about to do in your midst. And if people, if you don't see it, you can never come and partner with it. And you'll always be an individual and it's going on around you, but it's nev- you're never actually involved in it. But maybe that's for some people, they're happy to be around it. Some people like your fire. They'll come to you and warm their hands, but they don't want to be the fuel. They don't want to burn with you. They want you to labor. Make the fire. So when they get downstairs in the morning, the fire's already cooking. Yeah. Not in the church. Last scripture, we're finished. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. I've only got to page two. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So, let's break it down. When the congregation was dismissed, like today, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So they saw the grace on the men who were speaking to them. And then they did this. These were the men who talked to them and urged them to continue in the grace. So it's like Kath and Chris seeing the grace that's on us as a leadership. They see the word that comes to them As they receive this word, it so does something inside their heart. So thrills them on the inside that their only action is to encourage us to keep going. Keep pursuing this grace, pastor. Keep pursuing this grace, uh, elders. Keep pursuing it. Why? Because it's thrilling our hearts. We're rising, we're getting better, we're getting stronger, we're seeing more. Why? Because what's coming from the front, what's coming from the leaders is so thrilling us that we, we, don't, we want to encourage you, don't stop. Don't stop pursuing this because if you stop pursuing this, we feel that we're going to miss out and we're going to miss that train and we're going to miss our destiny. Because what's coming from the front, what's coming out of the leaders is doing something to us. It's getting our expectations. It's rising our expectations. It's getting us excited. We see what God's about to do. And we want to be part of it. So keep speaking about it. The more you speak about it, the more I can see it. And the more I can see it, the more I want to touch it. And they encourage them to keep on doing that. So Paul and Barnabas think, wow, these people are really receiving from God here. So you can imagine Paul and Barnabas, how can I keep my mouth shut? If the people, if this word is doing so much to the people, how can I not stop talking? I must keep talking. Why? Because, these, because destiny is on this people. Where some congregations, they want the pastor to shut up. You're talking too much, you're talking too long, da 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 da, da. But they had that spirit in this scripture that they went to Paul and Barnabas and encouraged them to keep on speaking. Because we're seeing, this, we're seeing the landscape. We're seeing now that us being here makes sense. We're seeing that this word that we're receiving from you is everything I've been praying in my heart, everything I've been dreaming about, everything I'm thinking, I'm excited, I want to step into this, how can it be used? Can you see what it's doing? It's motivating everybody and mobilizing everybody to come to this place. So then when they come to this place, you then focus the people to tap into the grace. Because the grace is there for us all. That doesn't mean to say it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. There'll be challenges. But the grace is there for us to do it and succeed in that area. And guess what? Your faith will build in the area. And when the school's up and running, God begins to speak to us about another area. And you go, flipping it, that's bigger than this. The last one. And guess what? Now we use it as a stone. And we say, right, it's time to go again. And then we get to that one. Then we come again. Why? Because the work has not yet finished. Amen? Trouble is, some of you can't visualize yourself being used. You can never, You won't allow yourself to be used. You can't visualize yourself being used. Not me. Not me. No, no, I can't be used. What have I got? What have I got? You've got the same as me. Nothing. Nothing of yourself. That's why God chose the foolish things of this world. So let's get that one out of the way now. You've got nothing. But you've got something. You've got everything. Yeah? And you start with that something... God makes it. He defines it. And he he gives it character and he gives it grace. And then it becomes a blessing. And that blessing then becomes the instrument for reaching other people. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Great grace was upon them all. You've got to. Push into new areas. The grace will not come if you remain in the same thinking and the same behavior. Grace comes to move you out of your comfort zone. And that's what makes it feel so uncomfortable. And you think, because it feels uncomfortable, there can't be any grace. There's a conflict in your mind and your emotions because it doesn't feel comfortable. And the prophetic word that keeps coming to me is God's giving you a coat but it feels uncomfortable. So who said grace ever had to feel comfortable? Yeah? So if the grace, if that coat is coming on me to make me feel uncomfortable, but it's a it's a coat of grace, that's the same coat you're gonna wear. Yeah? It's the same coat. So it will make us feel highly uncomfortable. Well I don't want to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you're in the wrong church. <laughs> Trouble, what was we read this morning? Trouble and disgrace. We read in Nehemiah this morning in prayer, trouble and disgrace, they're the doors that God's gonna to open to us. Not trouble in here, disgrace in here. God's gonna use us to go and find trouble and disgrace. Those who are troubled, those who are in disgrace, that's the door God's gonna use the Dream Center for. Amen? Trouble, those who were troubled, those who were in disgrace. God's going to open that. God's going to give us the grace. Now, how many of you know that when you find people who are troubled and in disgrace, that's hard work? That's hard work. Right there, that's hard work. But there has to be a grace coming on us because you can't do it in the natural. Some of you are going to have to take some new courses. Some of you are going to have to get some training outside of church. Why? To be able to handle what's coming through the doors. Because I can't teach you on everything because I haven't got that experience. So some of you need to go and think, Lord, prepare me for what's coming. Drop things into my heart. Trouble and disgrace. Okay. What does that mean to me? God will show you. God will will give you your portion. Some of you might need to go and take, uh, say, for instance, bereavement counseling. Not because you've lost someone, but you're going to be helping people in the area. They're troubled. Right? Some of you need to go and think beyond what we've got in here right now. The grace will come with you. It'll follow you. Start saying, Lord, show me. What do I need to go and learn? Some of you have, will have to you know, get step into marriage counseling. Abuse. All those kind of things. Why can't we see ourselves running a home for, for abused women? Those who have been disgraced. Why? Why? There's no reason why. God doesn't say it, we don't do it. But if God does, God speaks to you, let's rise. Well, oh God, give me the grace. Okay, go and learn something first. Show me you, you're willing. Yeah. I just want just read my Bible every day. Please. You know, I've read my Bible. I read my Bible every day. But there are some issues the Bible can't educate me on. And that doesn't weaken this book. Or I haven't got the revelation for it at this point in time. Let me say that. Okay. Let me rephrase that. It, it does speak, but I might not know it. So I'm have to go and learn something first. And then the Bible shows me how to utilize it. So let's just raise our hands. Father, right now, you're speaking to us. There is a corporate us stood before the throne room. The grace is coming on us. We're inclining our ear, Father, to hear what your spirit is saying to the church at this time. 2017 doesn't seem but two days away. But oh God, so much to be done, so much to be planned, so much to be thought about. Father, I pray, oh God, that you bring, you raise up this house up to move to this this focal point of rising, of, of starting this school. I pray you'll, this grace will come upon us all. I pray you'll give us um, parents, administrators. I pray, oh God, you'll give us ministers. You'll give us. Mothers and fathers who can watch the young people and how they're struggling and making adjustments to a new culture and a new language. Father, I pray you'll give us people who will take care. I pray, oh God, that there'll be, that, that there'll be no orphans in this house. But oh God, that you'll give us the mothers and the fathers to look after and practically speaking. Lord, let your grace come upon every one of us. I pray, oh God, that you'll drop things into our hearts. New dimensions of new things we might need to go and read. New things we might need to go and study. New courses we might need to go and take. Father, drop it in your people's hearts. You can do it, Lord. I know you'll do it. I pray, oh God, that people will wake up with strange thoughts. I have this thought of going to do this subject. Father, and I pray that it will burn in them, oh God, until they respond. I pray, oh God, you'll hunt, it, hunt them down until you get, the, you get the right response. Drop the strange, drop the weird, drop the unusual into the hearts of your people. Open up their eyes, oh God. Father, I thank you that you've already been working behind the scenes. You're already speaking to people right now. You're already confirming it, oh God, through this word. I thank you, oh God, that you've gone before us. That everything will come to this vocal point, oh God. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you, O oh God, that your grace has taken us beyond saving grace into empowering grace. And O oh Lord, we thank you that when Christ is revealed, the grace is given to go and pursue that, which, that dimension of which you've been revealed. So we pursue you, O oh God, in this dimension. Is that right, church? We're pursuing God in this dimension. We're going to pursue him. This is the corporate word to us. Everyone is listening to this word. Everyone's got the same amount of responsibility. Though you'll all have a different place and a different work and a different responsibility. We all have the responsibility to take this word together. Because God is addressing us as a house and you as an individual. Each one must ask, Lord, show me how I can play my part. Show me how I can encourage the leaders to keep on speaking this word of grace. Show me, oh God, how I can encourage them. What must I do to encourage them? Father, I pray that your people will not forget this word. I pray it will burn in their hearts. And each man and woman will seek you out privately. As to their role and responsibility. And great grace was upon us all. And they saw the power and the miracles that was being done by the apostles. And they saw that great grace was upon them all. Father, let this be our portion. Yes. Come on, just raise your hands. If, that, if, if, there's an, if there is a yes and an amen in your heart, let it be heard before heaven today. Lord, give me the grace for this. I promise you, Lord, I'll seek you, Lord. I will seek you for this. <laughs> we will do what we can. And Lord, you know what's in my heart? And I may have a husband or a wife who's not at that place. Lord, let your grace move upon my partner, my husband, my wife, my children. Lord, make room in my family, oh God, for what you're about to do. Get my family ready, oh God. Show me, Lord, how to maneuver. Show me how to minister to my husband, my wife, to my children. Show me how to pray, oh God, so that we can give you an inroad into the family. Show me, oh God, I'm getting ready for this journey. We can do this, church. We can do it. God's grace is upon us. We just need to make some adjustments. Oh, Father, we don't know how to touch...